0: Praise the Lord. I grew up in this wonderful, wonderful Methodist church, rich in, you know, some people go down on tradition. I'm down on tradition too, if it takes you away from reality and truth. Some of the traditions are good though, right? And uh, the choirs and the bell choirs and the lights. And uh, so anyway, but uh, we're blessed here in this church. Thank you, Brianna, Melissa, and my wife and everyone who's contributed and uh, praise God. So much work goes into making a service happen every week, and then when you do extra things like we're doing in this service, it's extra work, and just uh, appreciate everyone. You can turn in your Bible this morning, if you would, please, to the book of Luke to start. Uh, Luke chapter 1, I believe, and, uh, and then we're going to flip over to Romans chapter 1. So glad to see everyone here today, and, and I know the Heltons, are, their hearts are full. Thank you for helping us fill several role, uh, rows in the sanctuary here with your precious family. And uh, so you don't get anything under the tree. They're being here, right? That's that's what they gave you. So uh, well, that's a precious thing. And uh, But uh, we're glad to have all of you here. So where's everyone else? I love the Lord. You love the Lord? And uh, he, uh, he likes surprising you, right? And uh, I don't know if you, how acquainted you are with our Heavenly Father. You need to be intimately acquainted with Him. You, you get too rutted in something or you, you, know, he, you think you're going a certain way. He likes to upend things. Yeah. And uh, I had been thinking about what to minister to you uh, for some weeks. And I thought that I would minister to you on the subject of hope. And I tell you, if the birth of Jesus is about anything, it's about hope for all the world. I'm telling you. As, as I quoted earlier in the service... God sees humanity, it doesn't matter how nice of a house you may have, how good of a job you may have, how much health you may be enjoying right now. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord, if you're not walking with Him in fellowship, He views you as we we really are, and that is without hope in this world. And uh, praise God, but with Jesus in our life, I'm telling you, uh, we have a living hope. An abiding hope. So much so that, um, you know, while we're here today, you know there are people, I-, I know of. I don't know them very well, they came here a couple of times, just a very young family, just getting started in life. Uh, he had just uh, turned 27 not, not long ago, had moved up here from Florida, took a job working on the boats as a diesel mechanic, and got two little boys and a beautiful young wife, and 27, 3.30 in the morning, and his heart stops beating, and he died. And they buried him Friday. So Christmas is going to be different for them. And that's, that's true for many, many people, right? And, uh, but praise God. But I tell you what, the Bible says Paul told people who are grieving that had Christians, and thank God this person I'm talking about was a Christian, that uh, we are not to sorrow as others do. People who have no hope. Even in the face of death as Christians... We have hope. We have the hope. And Bible hope is not like earthly hope. Human hope is like a fanciful wish. You know, Uh, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. And we just, you know, throw some prayers out there. But no, the Bible definition of hope is a living, abiding, earnest expectation of God doing something good in your life. And uh, it is a wonderful thing. So anyway, I thought I would go down that trail with you and was praying yesterday. And the Lord said, you know, Chris, I really don't want you to do that. I really want you to just get up like you did in India and tell your story. Just get up and give your testimony. And I thought, okay, praise God. Well, I, I'm happy to do it. And, uh, but let's read some scripture here. Uh, in Luke chapter number one, of course, we have Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. And he goes on for some 80 verses in the first chapter. And if you would skip down to verse uh, 75, we'll pick it up there. And this is uh, actually John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, and he's prophesying. And we're picking it up midstream, Luke 1, 75. And it says, "...in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life, and you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest." So this, isn't, this child is John the Baptist, not, not Jesus. And thou, child, you shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring, that's a reference to the Lord, from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness. This is the verse I want you to take note of. What is Christmas about? Why did Jesus come? Well, he came to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, it's my church and it's my pulpit, and so it's my privilege before God to tell my story. But I'm very aware that you have your own story. And one of the most powerful things, if you're a Christian here today, I hope you are, one of the most powerful things that you have that God's given you in your arsenal is your story. It's your story. And uh, so many people are hesitant uh, about endeavoring to lead someone to the Lord or to witness to someone out there for Jesus. Their family members, coworkers, whoever that they may meet. And listen, uh, you, you need not be intimidated at all about the prospect of telling someone else about Jesus. Because you met Him. And He has done something in your life. You don't have to have memorized 35 scriptures or 10 scriptures or 5 scriptures or 1 scripture to be able to tell your story. That's right. Amen. There is your, one of your most powerful... And it's good to know scripture, don't get me wrong. Right? But I'm telling you what, every life that has been born again, I mean really born again, born from above, is a child of God, is a new creature in Christ. They have a story about encountering the King of Kings, this little man, this, you know, this I don't mean that in derogatory sense, this baby that came, amen, who was born in Bethlehem, a man of Galilee that we call Jesus. I mean, if I could ask you just kind of bluntly, what are you doing here today? I mean, we just—I hope you're not practicing a religion, right. right? I mean, we enjoy the music and the atmosphere and the candlelights, and you know, maybe you don't, but I like getting dressed up and hallelujah, and and all of that. Praise God! But we're here today celebrating an encounter that we had, a yeah. hope that we have, because Jesus has changed our life. Amen. I'm not only a pastor; I have a pastor. And one of the things that I heard my pastor say to pastors, to other pastors, not just me personally, uh, was that, that over time, your congregation, my congregation, any pastor's congregation, should know their pastor's testimony so well that they could almost recite it along with them as he tells it. Because so many times, uh, your answer, people's answers, will be found in the nuggets of our testimony. And uh, so this morning, I don't know how long I'll go. I, I tried to generate some notes yesterday on this. I do have a few, and the Lord said, "No, don't do that. Just get up like you did in the sands of India, and tell your story. And tell your story." And uh, so we're going to endeavor to. And you know, God did some mighty things at the end of those testimonies in India this year in February. Blind people saw, and people got healed. Gifts of the Spirit kicked in. So, Amen. Who knows what might happen? <laughs> as we would just believe and, uh, and listen. So uh, um, this may not be a sermon, praise God, but be listening for your answer. Because God said, I'm just going to bring up out of you what, what I want to come out. And uh, it'll bless you. If you will go back over to Romans chapter 1. And so, of course, the reason Jesus came, as is recorded in Luke, is to give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death. And I don't care how great you think your life is. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're sitting and living in darkness. And you won't know what darkness is until you step out of this earthly life into the next one. And then you'll really know what darkness is. And that's not what God wants, that's why He came. <laughs> Amen. I almost entitled this message today, And Then Jesus Came. And because isn't that true about your story? Stuff happened. And then Jesus came. (laughs) Right, Paul? Stuff happened. Life was lived. Mistakes were made. And then Jesus came. (laughs) Uh, Amen. That's definitely true in my life. And uh, praise God. Uh, In Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul said, opening up this letter, this is such a wonderful book uh, for Christians to know and understand. Rich in knowledge and revelation. He said in uh, Romans 1 verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the good news of the gospel of Christ. For it is. What is the gospel? The gospel is the power of God. You want to you stir up the power of God? Preach the gospel. Tell the gospel. And again, you don't have to know any verses of Scripture, if you're saved, to, to, to preach the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. You should tell people every chance you get of the good thing that Jesus has done and is doing in your life. What are people going to say? People might want to argue Scripture and theology with you. But if you're there telling your story, like I'm, telling, I'm going to tell you my story, what are they going to say? You're a liar. It didn't happen. <laughs> you know, if they do, you ought to really just pray for them. But No, I mean, the things that I'm about to tell you, happened to me in my life he really did them he really did these things that I'm about to tell you You know you go to hell for lying and I'm just going to tell you and I'm not ashamed I'm not ashamed I've done a lot of things in my life I'm not proud of doing it's not my purpose to rehearse very much of that to you today I think a lot of people make a mistake in their testimony they spend 90% of the time talking about what the devil did and then they say oh and by the way I got saved (laughs) you know come on that's you know praise God And uh, But he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation unto everyone who believes. Amen. You know, I was uh, born, like many of you, just a red-blooded American. You know, born to American parents, of course. And uh, I'm from Oklahoma, if you didn't know that. I was uh, born in St. Francis Hospital, November 27, 1972. Uh, my mom's family were from the Tulsa area. My grandma was an Oklahoma cotton picker uh, in the fields of uh, western Oklahoma. And uh, I tell you what, she's quite a lady. You know, she's in heaven today, has been for quite a while. Uh, but uh, you know, she would tell us the stories about being given a burlap sack about this tall. And uh, you, you didn't get any money until that sack had cotton in it that weighed 80 pounds. And so I, can you imagine how much cotton you'd have to pick? Not the husks, not the twigs. you got to, you know, I'm pulling that out by hand and stuffing that till it weighed 80 pounds. My grandma, if you didn't know, if you ever saw her, I tell you she's a little feisty of a person. She's about this tall. And uh, praise God, her husband, my grandpa, my grandpa Merriman, my mom's maiden name's Merriman, uh, I don't expect to see him lest he got right with God as he was going, uh, he lived his life as a mean, secular atheist who was hostile towards God. And, uh, you know, my uh, mom, uh, who's also in heaven, has been in heaven since 2005, she went to heaven six months after she got saved. Uh, She is the youngest of three sisters and all of them hardcore atheists. My My Aunt Sandy and my Aunt Pat love them. Haven't talked to them in many years. The reason for that is because I witnessed to them about Jesus the last time they showed up in Paducah and they didn't like that. And so they hadn't talked to me since. (laughs) But I'm, I'm concerned about their soul. I didn't want them to die and go to hell. Amen. If you're concerned about people's soul, even if they don't want to talk to you anymore after that, how dare you talk to me about Jesus? Who do you think you are? Well, at least you're not going to be standing there before Jesus and watching your relatives be cast off that you didn't say anything. A lot of people have blood on their own hands because they know something they don't share. Amen. And, and we're supposed to share the good news that we've received about the Lord. And, uh, but anyway, my point in telling you about them, they're, they're sweet people. And, uh, you know, uh, my Aunt Sandy uh, and my Aunt Pat, a little bit older, but you know, something's got to be wrong in a home. Just, just children born into the earth don't naturally come up with an angst towards God in the Bible. Right. We have a God bent created in, God put it there. I don't care what your background is, I don't care if you were born an Indian, a Hindu, a practicing Muslim, doesn't matter. God. Amen. Put a God bent and a God desire and a God shaped hole in the side of the in in the soul and spirit of every human being. And for three little girls to come up in a home and end up hardcore bent atheistic against God. You know, that is the that was the iron fist of my grandpa's influence. And I just thank God that in the last few months of my mother's life that they were born again. But, you know, my mom grows up and she, she meets, my, uh, meets a man. My dad's name's Lee. And uh, they were lifetime, you know, workers at Southwestern Bell until it fell apart and changed and whatever. Uh, my mom was one of those switch operators. So you call in, they go put the wire in the thing. That's what my mom did, you know, until that technology changed. Yeah. And my dad worked in upper level management. And that's where they met, University of Tulsa, and uh, working there. And they got married. And uh, anyway, uh, just... You know, they weren't saved. They really had no gospel history. were The Bible was not a thing in the home. They're just secular, everyday Americans, you know, unassuming, moral people. Well, a few, a few years after, my mom and dad, my dad, again, his name's Lee. Uh, he's still with me, praise God. After here, I'm getting in the car going to see him. And uh, praise God, he's 76 years young. And uh, praise God, love him dearly. Uh, he and mom had Ben and I. Now, I'm the oldest and the best of the two, of course, by far. And my, my brother Ben is three years younger than I. And, you know, for 14 years, we lived a beaver cleaver life, I thought. That's just the way we lived. I had, we had a wonderful income, and we had good things, and we had a nice home, and we ate good food. And I had a mongoose bas- you know, bicycle, and I just had G.I. Joe's, and I played with the neighbor's And I went to school and I just had an average American life Mm -hmm. until I broke. Now, I don't know if you know this. You probably do. You know you can break a human being like a vase Mm -hmm. or glass. You can break a human being. It's not all that hard to do. Just to have some surprising, unexpected, traumatic event happen, you can really break a human being. And so we were just having an average night. My mom and dad, one of my, uh, my mom and dad were married for 14 years. And uh, I'm up around 11 years old or so. I don't remember the year I need to calculate it. This event I'm about to tell you happened to me. Um, hallelujah, I try not to get emotional. <laughs> okay. uh, the night Reagan got shot. No, no, not the night, he, the night he got reelected to a second, whenever that was. And uh, whatever year that was, I remember that being on the televisions is how I associate that memory. But uh, my mom, one of my, my living, most precious memories of my mom and dad are them hanging out after work in the kitchen, cooking and preparing a meal. They did that together. They, they cooked together, they talked, they washed meals. And, you know, anyway, so my mom says, Hey, Ben, Chris, after dinner, stick around, don't run off play. Uh, I've, and this is what I know that my mom, God bless her, Uh, she would like to have this word back, the way she uttered this. I'm sure she was nervous and emotional and whatever. But she said, I've got a surprise for you. Well, you know, I'm just a little kid. When you say a surprise, I'm thinking I'm getting me a new G.I. Joe after dinner here. So I'm ready for this dinner to get over. Christmas has come early at the Cody house. And uh, so after dinner, we uh, went into the den and sat down on the floor in a little family circle, us four. And my mom proceeded to tell me how that she didn't love my dad anymore. And, uh, and that we, were, we had planned a trip to my dad's family. Uh, their are Kansans, uh, the Cody's, uh, up in northern Kansas, up in a little town called Oberlin. We were about to go up there for a family trip. And mom said, I'm not going. Uh, you'll go with your dad, and when you come back, this house will look different, and I'll live in a different place, and when you get back, you'll come live with me. And that's the day when I look back on my life that I broke as a human being. I never saw my parents fight. I didn't have any sort of a clue that anything might be wrong. I just thought I had everything, every kid's dream. And I remember, I have this vivid memory of thinking, I have a great life. I have a great life. And listen, no condemnation to you. I know over half of Americans, you're in this boat with me. I know this is a common experience, but it's too common. And again, no condemnation at all. God is, if I have time, if God wants me to, I'll tell you about the miracles God has done in our blended family. Just wonderful, supernatural. You know, God make lemonade out of lemons. Sour lemons, I mean, like rotten lemons. He is God, He can do great things, and He has done great things. But, you know, that's the day, you know, there's just something on the inside of me was not right after that. So I'm just, you know, and when I came back, the house was empty except a coffee table, a little TV, and a little chair that she left my dad to have. And I went to this new home, wasn't near as nice, and began to live this different dynamic where I got to see my dad twice a month. And uh, I'm telling you this just to kind of tell you that this break on the inside of my soul as a kid began to warp me and twist me. And I'm not blaming anybody. I, don't bl- I, don't, I never have blamed my mom and dad. I'm just telling you the effect of what happened in my life. And what was created in me was a very deep, strong sense of insecurity. That life at any moment could be the most precious of things could just be taken away. I didn't, I didn't think that was possible as a kid before then. I found out violently it was. About a year after uh, my mom met a guy on the rebound, uh, his name's Vic... And, uh, you know, very, just very quick rush-rebound thing, she married him. He was a Vietnam veteran, thank God for that. He was a Special Forces type Green Beret, fought hand-to-hand in the jungle, saw horrific things, told me all about it, wished he hadn't. Uh, he never hit me. Um, he never abused Ben and I in that way. But there was just such fear in our home after he moved in. I'm just a little kid, and I came up behind him one night, being the ornery little kid I was, and I spooked him, you know. And I saying, if you know someone that's been specially trained, they've got traumatic experience, you wouldn't want to do that. Of course, I didn't have that warning, and I came up behind him, spooked him before he knew what he'd do, and he'd almost had me killed. That was the one moment where he did get physical with me. He didn't mean to, and he just kind of, as he was setting me back down on the wall as I was getting my breath back, he'd put some sort of choke on me. I thought I was about dead. Uh he, uh he said, listen, just don't do that to me. Just don't do that to me anymore. And he was just a really, really broken individual. Well, that marriage didn't last very long. And uh, one day, uh, again, I had no real clue about this, but I came home, got off the bus, and then my mom was there. You know, usually when I got off the bus, it was Ben and I. My mom didn't come home till five thirty, six o'clock after she got off work. But she was home, if I remember this right. We had the big, heavy, solid wood core doors. I mean, big, heavy doors on, on our house. And she had uh, called a locksmith, changed the locks on him, called the police and let him know that she'd kicked him out. Well, she was kind of watching and up up the driveway, sure enough, here he comes. And she called the police and rushed Ben and I into the bathroom, handed me a steak knife. Now, I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a little kid with a steak knife against a special forces <laughs> guy. But I'll tell you what, he came up to that door and like it wasn't even there, he, with one swoop, that door went bam, like in a superhero movie. Or like they're breaching with some big thing. It just he kicked it right off the hinges and was in the house. And my mom wasn't hurt. The police showed up. But it's just these kind of things. So now I'm dealing with insecurity and I got this fear uh, going on. And then she kicked him out and we kind of had to, to hide from him. We kind of had to live, we had to live different after that, because he was a danger to us. Anyway, I just continued to grow up. Uh, My my dad eventually married a lady named who's my mom number two. Her name's Peggy. She had two boys. My dad's got two boys, so I got two brothers on that side. And then my mom eventually married my stepdad, Glenn, who I'll get to see. Wonderful, wonderful man. Just treated me like a son. He had two boys. So when you get this blended family put together, we got me and Ben, Scott and Todd, and Dale and Mark over here, and we got us a clan. I mean, we had multiplied. And I'm telling you, listen, it was good. It, it was really good. It was sweet. It was, it was peaceful. And I kind of got into a rhythm of living life again. And y'all with me, okay? Amen. Amen. But I never really, I never really, my mom took me to therapy, la la la, the therapist didn't help me, nothing. But I kind of had this thing, and I'll tell you how that began to manifest, and it really began to wreak some havoc in my life as a kid. So anyway, my mom married Glenn. Now, I had been in the hot pursuit of popularity. And when you're insecure, the thing you want the most in your life is to be accepted and liked by the best. And so I had spent my middle school years 6th grade, 7th grade, and 8th grade, uh, my 6th and 7th grade. I mean, I was not in the in crowd, but I wanted to be. And I just began to do things that were not good for me, that I thought would win me their approval. And I just began to program myself to think this way. What do I have to do to win the approval and the popularity and the acceptance of the best among them in my view? And I just began to do that. And so that kind of took me down path of sin. Can I just tell you that? I began to lie, I began to cheat, I began to run out, I began to go to parties, I started drinking when I was probably 14. Uh, Anyway, but then right as I'm about to break into the big group, my mom, marries Glenn, and moves us to another town. And I was hot mad at my mom. I really was. And so we moved to this little podunk school south of Norman, Oklahoma called Washington. Washington, yeah, you, don't, you spell it Washington, but you don't say it like that. It's got an R in there. And that's where I ended up going to high school. That's where I started in ninth grade, Washington. And, uh, Washington, Oklahoma. And my high school graduating class had 34 people in it. And so, now listen, I wanted to be popular. When I stepped into my ninth grade class, first day of high school at this new podunk school, you know what they saw? New meat. A new face. And I was instantly popular. And why not? Right? I don't know how many girlfriends I had that that ninth grade year. I had the pick of the litter. I mean, I just had, if I wanted them, I had them. In terms of a girlfriend. And I tried several on for size, you know, and whatever. But I, I had a good year, and here I go, and going along, and I get up into my, but every decision of my life, I don't know what I know now, is being driven by this brokenness on the inside of me. And I began, now it's not rational, I know it's not rational, but I get, began to define a great life, a life I wanted, as long as I had somebody pretty and popular by my side. And, uh, and I'm a relational guy anyway, and so anyway, I got into some uh, dating relationships in my junior and high school years, and if whatever I needed to do to keep those girls by my side, I did. And I'll just let you read into that everything that you need to read into. Amen? Amen? And again, I had a lot of good years, right? I had a lot of good years, but I tell you what, I mean, you could go up to the drive-thru at this little store south of town and give them some money and they'd give you all the alcohol you wanted. And so I just began to party and we just began to drink and we just began to revel and we, that's just what we did and anyway, I just, a series of just really awful decisions, you know, and things happen with these relationships. And if I can just tell you, families were hurt. My family was hurt. And, uh, Father, I'll tell if you want to, but anyway, uh, I, I just had some really bad moments. I, I, in the aftermath of some decisions that I made, my, my dad found out about one in particular that was really heartbreaking. I was dating this girl from our church. My dad got born again and started taking us to the Methodist church when we had time. And uh, I started to get a little bit of the word in me then, a little bit of sense of right and wrong. But, uh, you know, I I just not treated this girl the way I should have. And my dad found out about in the middle of the night, the way I found out that he found out was he threw me up against the wall, screaming at me and calling me names. And I understand I don't blame him, I... Then I had to go and sit down in front of this girl's parents in the middle of the night and explain what I had done to her family uh, and to her. And, and anyway, I just want to fast forward. Remember this scripture in Luke? Why did Jesus come? Why, what was this we're celebrating? Remember I asked you, what are we doing here? I'll tell you why I'm here. <laughs> I got up into my senior year and I repeated this same type of behavior and mistake with another girl and destroyed their family and brought more hurt and shame on me and dishonor on me and my family again. And then that tight-knit little group we had. I mean, you're 34 in a high school class, and I mean, you're a clan, and I mean, it's close to it, and we graduated, and we all scattered. Mm -hmm. And my high school sweetheart, the day after our graduation, said, well, a few weeks after that, she she called me into the room and said, I don't see you ever again. And I just began to kind of spiral out of control. Now, I had enrolled at the University of Oklahoma. Do you know that the student population at the University of Oklahoma exceeds the city population in Paducah? So I went from being the tall, cool one, a a big fish in a very, 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 very small pond, dropped into this mass of humanity, knowing nobody and being very broken. right? And lost what I thought would be the love of my life. And so I'm a real broken individual. And then I'll just fast forward and just tell you, I went on a very destructive party spiral. For about a year and a half during my freshman year. Now I'll get to this place. A lot of times I pick up my testimony right here. I went to a frat party one night. I was entertaining, joining a frat party because I needed to know somebody. I needed to have some friends, and uh, so I went to this frat party. And uh, but I I was just so I wasn't having any fun. And uh, I, uh, I I got I popped a I don't know what number I was on another. Bottleneck, And I had brought with me a a bottle of pills that had enough in it I knew it would do me in if I took them all. And I had begun a little bit prior to this to just entertain the idea of killing myself. My mom didn't, she had no spiritual foundation. I would just, for weeks, I'm just day after day after day, I'd sit in my room and just weep and cry, weep and cry. She just left me in there. She just didn't know what to do with me. And then I'd get up and try to go navigate, go to my class and whatever. And I didn't want to die. I don't want you to think that I was really wanted to die, but the enemy started whispering in my ear. If you've ever uh, had that thought, anybody, I don't know, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm just telling you uh, that I know now today that an unwelcome thought that comes to you about killing yourself is an evil spirit sent from the devil. I didn't know that then. I would just be walking along my own business and a thought would come from the outside in, land on my mind, encouraging me, giving me a whole list of good reasons why I ought to go ahead and do it. And see, you don't know that that's, you just think that's you. That's what I thought. I thought that's me, but it's not. It's a, it's, you know, the Bible does talk about the, a devil and demons and evil spirits. You may not believe it, but it's all in there. Amen. And I didn't know that. We teach our young people now in this church how to deal with that thought, how to deal with that spirit of suicide. We teach them and equip them how to handle that. And I encourage you, get your teenager and young person. I'm telling you, suicide is epidemic in our area. I don't need to tell you that. Amen. And uh, my spiritual father taught me that every human being, at least once, will be targeted with the spirit of suicide at some point in their life you need to know how to deal with that. And we teach you in this church how to use your authority to use the name of Jesus, amen, and deal with that. But anyway, Jesus said in Luke, this, this verse says in Luke 1:79 uh, that He came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And that's where I was that night. And so I, it was a long, narrow hallway and a party was going on somewhere else and I got off by myself and I pulled out this b- bottle of pills and this full Long neck I had and I thought, well, I probably got enough in here to get to all this down. Me. And again, I didn't want to die. But right then, Brother Paul, I just really couldn't think of a reason to live. You know what? Jesus will give you a reason to live. Hallelujah. Jesus will give you a reason to live. It's why I'm in Paducah today. It's because it's part of the reason that Jesus gave me when He gave me a reason to live. All of you are going to have, you know, even with the greatest blessing and the most skillful spiritual person, you know, you know, if you live long enough on the earth, you know, you you and your husband are probably gonna be separated a little bit, because one of them's gonna to go to heaven. Or some people you don't know they don't know how to really appropriate the promises of God like divine protection, and tragedies to happen. People die. People get sick. And things happen. I tell you what, it's easy to get yourself into a dark place. Amen. And that's where I was. And I'm sitting there, and I've been to church with my dad. Like I said, I haven't really told you a lot of that side of the story. I've begun to know a few things. And, uh, but I'm sitting there, and for the first time ever like that, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what happened. God came into the hallway. And God spoke to me. And He rebuked me. He kind of, something to the effect of, What are you doing? Look at you in this sorry condition. You know, God goes to frat parties. God will follow you to a frat party, or to a brothel, or to a bar, to a nightclub, to a place where you're going to do drugs, whatever it is. God shows up these places. You better thank God He does. I didn't get saved in church. First time I really heard God and had an encounter with the God of the universe like that was drunk and suicidal in the hallway at a frat party. Look at you, you pitiful thing. And he said, listen, he said, "Uh, son, you know what you've been doing is wrong. And this direction that you've been going is wrong. So he said, I'm not going to deliver you all at once. Because he said, you knew. But this is what he said. And I didn't see anything. I didn't have a vision. I just heard him talk to me. I just heard him talk to me. But I can so see with my eye of my imagination his extended hand. He said, son, if you'll take my hand. And I wonder, how, how long are you or people you know going to have God's hand extended to them before you... before you... Take hold. He said, Chris, if you will take my hand, I will lead you up and on out of this place. Back to where you once were, which was an unbroken person. And then this is what he said that that changed my... I don't think he had me convinced yet. I didn't care too much about being delivered. Mm -hmm. But this is what he really captured my attention. He said, son, take my hand you'll take my hand I'll lead you on step by step back from where you are now to where you once were and then on into the things that I have for you and I never had that thought I never had that preached to me that I remember I had a good pastor but I wasn't paying attention I was chasing girls at church <laughs> I was that's just the way I was and that sounded Kathy that sounded at that moment better than Diane It sounded better than dying. Alone and drunk. Meaningless. Empty. Hopeless. And I don't know how come I said it the way I did. I don't know. I just know that it was no doubt the Holy Ghost helping me. And I didn't reach out and grab an invisible hand. But in the Spirit, that's what I did. I I grabbed His hand... And I said, I will, Father, I do right now. And I make you this promise that no matter where I have to go, no matter what I have to do, no matter what it costs me, no matter who it separates me from, I promise you, I will go all the way. I will go all the way with you. And then that moment was over. I don't have a lot of memory. I was drunk to the hilt. And it's not like he instantly made me sober. uh, Sometime after that, I got up, made my way home. And he was true to his word. I I wasn't an instantly different person in my behavior. But he was faithful to his promise. And step by step, he began to move in a stronger way in my life progressively. And he didn't have my bucking up against him every minute. I began to cooperate with when I knew it was him. I cooperated about six. This was this frat party event happened somewhere in 1992, maybe the latter half of 1992. In March of 1993, I was in a college chemistry class at the University of Oklahoma, and it had twice as many people in that class as we had in here. And there was a girl in that class. We had theater seating. I sat in the back. I wanted to be out of there. But there was a girl in that class that sat way up in the front and she was smoking pretty hot. I mean she was just pretty. And she had she was just everything. She just rang, she just checked all my boxes and rang all my bells. She was not real tall, shorter in stature a little bit, long, thick brunette hair. Oh my goodness. And just just everything I liked. Well, I she says I stalked her, but I didn't. You need to get her you need to correct her if she tells you that because I didn't stalk her. She said I followed her around all over Norman. And that's just not true, see? She's just noticing me. Cuz God's trying to do something. The reason, honest to God, need to go to Hell for lying. the reason I noticed her in the beginning, Rex, is because I had a buddy there, not a real close buddy, a, you'll, it'll be evident in a moment, but a buddy, and we were in that class together, and he kept pointing her out, and he kept, oh my God, ooh, and then she praying, yeah, she is, and, and all that, and uh, the whole semester goes by, and he keeps talking about wanting to ask her out, but he never does, he's too chicken. Then, Haven, one day, towards the end of the semester, he didn't come to class, and I thought to myself, now's my chance. <laughs> I told you he wasn't a very good buddy. (laughs) And uh, I worked up the courage to go down there. And there was an empty seat there beside her. And I walked up and said, is this seat taken? To which she promptly replied, and very sternly, if you've ever talked to her in this way, yes, it is. Whoa. And I kind of went back off. Okay, this didn't go how I hoped it would. And I was quickly trying to think how I could make a gracious retreat. But then all of a sudden she said, now later she, much later she told me she felt like, because she's born again spirit-filled, young person that the Holy Ghost arrested her. She goes, oh, I'm just kidding. And so I very sheepishly sat down and tried to have some small talk with her. And that didn't, get, that didn't go very well either. And she'd been telling her mom for the whole semester, this stalker, jerk, keeps staring at me in class. None of that's true. Just telling. You. None of that's true. It's all a misperception. Sometimes she'll have to tell this side of the story herself. But, uh, uh, and she told her mom all that. Well, towards the end of the class, I, if I'm going to have to do it. And I said, well, um, what do you got planned this weekend? And she said, I'm working. I'm working. She just shut me down. I thought, okay, that's it. I put myself out there twice. And I'm not dumb here. I know this is not going to go well, so I'm not going to pop this question. And then after a long, awkward pause, she said, but I get off Friday at 5. That's about how kind of she put it. She said, much later, the Holy Ghost said, tell him you get off Friday at 5. Now listen, when you're beginning to date, don't tell those kind of experiences on the first date. I would have run for the hills. She's a crazy person. Said God told her. It's just what I thought back then. (laughs) And uh, so I go, oh, there's my opportunity. And so I popped the question. She said yes. And then she had to go home and tell her mom, hey, you remember that jerk that's been stalking me all semester? I'm going out with him Friday at five. Now, if you know anything about her, that's totally against her nature. It's just a God thing. God began to move in my life. And oh, I'm looking at the clock here. Jesus has changed my whole life. My whole life. Jesus came. He came to a frat party. And He saw me there and I just friend I had he didn't tell me he's going to make a preacher out of me I wouldn't have accepted it back then I would not have done that back then but the adventure the the places that I have gone the people I have met you know I've gotten to go to Israel and walk where Jesus walked Now, many people have, but a lot of people had not I have. I I got to go experience what Elijah the prophet experienced this year in India, in the sands of India, as I'm in this very crude washing my hands. I had gone to the bathroom in a hole in the ground and come out in this precious pastor's family's home and they're cooking their dinner on an open fire like they did 2,000 years ago about to stand up in the, sand, in the sand there under a canopy and tell my testimony to a bunch of Indians. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if it was you, Kamala, or if it was one of the, I think it was the pastor's son, poured water on my hands. And the Bible says that Elisha, the young prophet, the apprentice prophet, poured water on the hands of Elijah. And I thought, man, I'm having me a moment. And I got to preach the gospel, I think, that night, 22... I don't know how many people got saved as I gave an altar call. I just told my story. We had a totally blind man. I don't know if he still got his healing, but he left seeing. They had to guide him by the hand with two people. I had to orient his shoulders because he cannot see. And I just laid my hands on him and prayed a simple prayer in the name of Jesus. And his eyes burst open. He walked back by himself without a guide. Amen. I went to tell my dad sometime later that I was changing my major away from my long-sought dream of uh, pursuing medical career. My dad, my grandparents, both of them died of cancer, my granddads. So I was going to be a radiation therapy, fight that stuff. But uh, I came back to my dad one time. Now, my mom was blown out. She didn't understand it. She wasn't saved. When I came back and said, I've given that up, I'm going to go into the ministry, my mom about fainted. But my dad was not surprised at all. He goes, oh, it doesn't surprise me. When you were six years old, I was working in the garage. You came up to me when you were six and said, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm going to be a preacher. And then you ran off. (laughs) I said, you never told me that. He goes, you're right, I never did. You could have figured it out. But I did. I don't have any ministry in my family line. God has just taken an unassuming, broken boy from southwest Oklahoma who doesn't, hadn't done anything to deserve the life He had planned for me. And if you've seen anything over the years or moments that you've met me, anything good in me, listen, you just need to know, you've seen the God in me. You've seen the God in me. And I give Him all the glory. I had no idea, and you don't either, when God said, take my hand, and I'll lead you on into the good things I have for you. For instance, I just, I'm going to have to shut it down because you've got places to be. God has something for you. I don't care how long you've been walking with Him. you've You've just begun to have it unveiled to you, the good thing that God has in store. You won't see it all in this lifetime no matter how faithful you are to Him. Because Ephesians chapter 3, I think, tells us that God has set aside the eons of time to show us the exceeding greatness of His kindness. It's going to take a while for us to walk out and experience. I don't know where you are today in your journey, but God doesn't love me any more than He loves any of you. And before you took your first breath in this planet, all your days were written out in one of His books. Now none of us have lived His script perfectly. We've all veered away to some degree. Except Pastor Amber because she was born, saved, and filled with the Holy Ghost and sanctified. She would tell you she's not, but she's, she's a good girl. And uh, But uh, I am so exceedingly glad Brother Paul, that I've still, some 25 years later, whenever that more, I still got God by the hand. Amen. And I'm still endeavoring to keep a simple promise that I made to Him that night, drunken suicidal at a frat party. That No matter what I have to do, where I have to go, what it costs me, who it separates me from, I'm going to go all the way with Him. And I just encourage you to get a hold of the Lord's hand before you leave this place today, if you need to. And if you do have Him by the hand, tighten your grip. Get more on board in your heart and mind with the plan. Because whatever you thunk up for yourself, it doesn't compare to the great things that God has planned for your life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I've just done my best to share a little bit about my story. I love that song by Big Daddy Weave, This Is My Story. And every single one of us, Father, we have a story. And in that song, of course, He talks about if I'm going to talk, if I'm going to speak, let it be of His grace and of His mercy where justice was done but where mercy won the day. And God, that's so true in my life. I deserved punishment. And sorrow. I deserved the darkness I was in because of the many sins I had committed. But you sent Jesus on that first Christmas to bring light to people just like me who were sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. If there is perchance in this moment someone here today who doesn't know you, Jesus, with our head bowed and our eye closed, Holy Spirit of God, do what I can't. Make yourself real and known to them. Help them to know that they need you. No matter how much they might like or enjoy their life, without you, they are in darkness. They are lost. But you came that they might be saved. So if you're here today and you want to, right where you're sitting... You want to receive Jesus as your Lord. You want to take Him by the hand. Would you just boldly raise your hand up in the air so I would know who you are and I could lead you in a prayer from where you're sitting today. Praise God. Amen. Got one, two. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Don't don't have a battle in your own soul. You know by the pull and the tug on your heart whether or not this applies to you or not. But as you're contemplating, I would also extend you this invitation. What about those of you, you remember a definite day where you took Jesus as your Lord and you were born again, but you know better than anybody else about your life that you've not been living the script. You've not been living and pursuing Him as you should. And your fellowship with God is broken. And you want to rededicate your life this morning. Throw your hand up in the air with these others and say, Pastor, where I'm sitting, pray for me. Yes, sir, I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand, young ladies. You could put it down. All over this building, people rededicating. Yep, I see your hand. Glory to God. If if you're not on the very cutting edge of your walk with God, (laughs) then you're a candidate to rededicate your life. I've done it. I've done it. If I, I practice it if I need to. Join these others this morning that would say, number one, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Number two, I have... But I've been living in broken fellowship. And I want that changed. I want that repaired in my life this morning. Hallelujah. Anybody else before we pray? Praise God. Yep, I see your hand. You can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. If you're out there on the live stream, I can't see your hand, but you can make a comment section. and Just say, that's me. This is an act of faith. We'll see it later, but we'll pray for you. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Well, go ahead. Let's all as a congregation stand together. We're about to be dismissed, but I'm not going to dismiss without leading you in that prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. People all over this building, I'm so glad. Praise God. Just like in a, sitting in that little press, only Kamal and I and Chelsea were there, I think. Whew, man, we had the time. Those young people, those men and women sitting on beautiful canvas rags in the sand of southern India. And they raised their hands and said, I want to receive Jesus. <laughs> Praise God. Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and here's how this works. You can't be saved. You can't get right with God without saying something. So you have to say something. You don't have to scream it, but you just repeat this prayer I'm about to lead you in. And just speak it out loud enough your own ears can hear it. Amen? And let your heart agree. And as you do that, God is going to meet you right there. And you're either going to be born again if you need it, or you're about to have a brand new beginning with the Father. Amen? Now, WHC, we're all going to chime in. Amen? Praise God. We're all going to make this confession. It won't hurt you. Amen. All right, here we go. Say, Father, I just cast myself down at the feet of your mercy. And I fully understand. You know everything there is to know about me. What's in my heart, what's in my mind, everything I've ever said, and all I've ever done. Thank you for still loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus. I repent and I express my sorrow and I take full responsibility for my rebellion, my sins. And my disobedience. I need a Savior. And you're the only one. So I take you. By faith. As my Lord. And my Savior. I give my life to you. I put my hand in yours. Lead me on from here. Out from where I am. And on into the good things that you have for me. Now can you make a promise similar to what I made? Can you say, Father, I promise you, as I leave this place, as you help me, no matter what it costs me, no matter what I have to do, no matter what changes I must make, who it separates me from, where I might have to go, I promise you, from this moment to go all the way with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me and for giving me a brand new start. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's shout. A lot of people made, made themselves right with God.